today. It's so good to see all you beautiful people. I'm excited about sharing the word, um, but I'm going to go ahead and ask you guys to pray with me. If you guys don't mind, bow your heads and let's just enter in. God, you are so good. You are so good. And Lord, we just even now ask you to come. Would you speak to us, Lord? Lord, I pray that you would use me, Lord God, as your vessel, Lord Jesus, and that you would speak through me to the hearts of your people, Lord God. Let them not just hear my words, Lord. Let them hear your word today. God, I thank you that your word is powerful and it's active. And God, I pray that you would divide the things of the flesh from the things of the spirit, God. I pray that you would bring conviction, Lord Jesus, and I pray that you would bring encouragement, Lord God, and I pray that you would bring power that we could walk in what you've called us to walk in. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let me give you the background on this sermon series called EGR. You're like, what's EGR? When I was in Bible school, (laughs) we used to have this um, name that we would call for people who needed um, some extra grace in their life. So EGR is extra grace required. And see... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what we did, you know, it was, it was supposed to be like this awesome thing, like everybody needs extra grace, but we kind of took it as young adults as, oh, you an EGR, you know what I mean? Like, you, you need some extra grace, You're, and, and people was like, what's an EGR? And so then when we planted and did uh, urban ministry for 20 years, there was, there was uh, quite a few people that, you know, uh, were EGRs in our life. And then as we have grown and moved and we have teenage kids now, we realize, <laughs> I think every teenager is an EGR. You know what I mean? Extra grace required. Not optional. Required. It's not EGO. It's E-G-R. And then I've realized now going on almost uh, be 19 years and a couple months of, ma- of marriage that, well, good Lord, when you've been married that long, your spouse becomes an EGR. Right? And then (laughs) there's times that I keep messing up in the same area over and over, and then the people around me got to realize, guess what? I'm an EGR. Like, I need extra grace. And so... You know, we're, we're, the month of February, a lot of people start thinking about, you know, Valentine's Day. We have in a couple weeks a parent night out that we're going to babysit kids at our South Toledo campus for people to get a date because we believe in dating. We believe that just because you've been married 19 years doesn't mean that, you know, it's just going, you know, two ships passing through the night. You never do anything. No, we believe that married people need to connect. But we also realize that for that to happen, we have to put the time into it, and we have to have the grace to really love because sometimes hard things happen. Sometimes difficulties come about in just life, and in order to get through it, we need extra grace. Who doesn't need extra grace in here? Oh, my gosh. Who doesn't need extra grace? I know I need extra grace. I need extra grace because I mess up. So much sometimes, just in one day, it's like, Lord, have mercy. You didn't have to amen that loud in the front row. We need that extra, extra, extra grace. (laughs) You know, some of us are just extra. (laughs) So today I want to talk about um, when we need extra grace the most, when we need to receive it and when we need to give it. And that's um, when we've been wronged, when we've, when we've been wrong. And today I'm going to talk about how to be right when you've been wronged. Matthew 5, 38 and 42, is, I'm going to read the ESV version. It's the first time I'm reading through that this year in my fire Bible. It's super awesome. And it says this. It says, you have heard what it was said. And this is Jesus speaking on the Sermon of the Mount. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. 
I'm going to read this in just one more translation. This is the message translation. It's a paraphrase translation. But sometimes when we're studying the scripture, sometimes it's good to get it in in the paraphrase too because you get the big picture. And I really love how it's said here. So one more translation. It says, here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Amen. We need extra grace. Sometimes we need to look at things more than once. It says, eye for eye, tooth for a tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into a court and sues you for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit for tat stuff. Live generously. Whew. Man, Lord, help us. Help us. I'm going to pray one more time. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, as we have read your scripture, Lord, I pray that you would help us. God, that we would be people of extra grace. God, that we would, we would give extra grace and we would receive extra grace for ourselves. It wouldn't be a tit for tat that we wouldn't be trying to keep a log of how many times somebody has done us wrong. But God, that you would help us live a generous lifestyle. And that's more than just giving financially. That's giving grace. That's giving love. That's giving respect. That's honoring when we we feel dishonored. And God, I pray today, Lord Jesus, that your word would penetrate our heart and that you would convict and change us today in Jesus' name. So I'm going to talk about three people here, or actually four. I had three and I added another one. (laughs) We're going to talk about four examples of people who really got this, who understood what it was to be wronged. They understood what it was to be taken advantage of. They understood what it was for someone to, as the kids in our South Toledo uh, youth ministry says, do me dirty. <laughs> okay, they don't say that anymore. I, hey, when you're a 41-year-old youth pastor, you just whatever. You get stuck in the time sometimes. So, you know, it is what it is. Don't drag me. Thank you for helping me in the front row. So here's four examples. Because when we follow Jesus' example of how to love, even when we're done wrong, we would display Christ-like character and values that will cause other people to see Jesus in us. So how to love even when they do me wrong. We're going to talk about Abraham. We're going to talk about Abraham before he became Abraham. Okay, a lot of you guys know about Abraham. You know that he waited for a long time to get um, his promise of Isaac. You guys even know about how he messed up. And Well, there's Ishmael too. But before Isaac and before Ishmael, he had a nephew named Lot that was more than just a nephew to him. It was like a son. It was his closest family member. And so when God spoke to Abraham and and told him to go and to trust him to step out into a new land and see in those times people lived together as as families and they they didn't go on adventures, they didn't travel. So this was a step of faith for him. He took a lot with him. And so we're gonna read about this in Genesis 13, one through 13. I'm gonna read this entire passage to you in the ESV version. It says, so Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed um, as far as to Bethel, to a place where, where his tent had been in the beginning, where Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord, and Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at the time of the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling also in the land. And Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen, right? We are family. It's not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go right. And if you take the right hand, then I will go left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like a garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities and valleys and moved his tent as far as Sodom. 
Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. See, Abram, friends, he was an elder. He was the elder. He was the head of the family. And, and that culture, uh, the elders were respected. They were the ones who got to make the choice. They were the ones who get to pick, they were the ones who got to pick first. But Abram decided to allow the one he loved like a son to pick first. He didn't demand his rights to say, hey, listen, our, our blessings are just, it's too much. We're too big. I'm going to go right over here and you go over there. He could have done that because he had every right to do that because he was the elder. He was uh, the one that was to be respected, but yet he did not demand his own rights. The first rule when someone does you wrong, friends, is you don't have to demand your rights. You don't have to go first, right? Doesn't the Bible say the first shall be last and the last shall be first? As Christians, we have this upside down kingdom, this kingdom of God that doesn't do things the way the kingdoms of the earth does things. And Abraham got that from the beginning. He didn't demand his own rights. And look what happened. It says, Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw. See, this is the thing, friends. The Lord does not see as we see. The Lord doesn't see things the way we see things. A, uh, Lot looked, and he saw from his physical eyes. He said, man, it looks like the, the ground is well watered. It looks like my livestock will do well there. I'm going to look with my own eyes. I'm not going to inquire of the Lord. I'm not going to pray. I'm just going to look and see what looks right to me, and then I'm going to go that way. Friends, how often as American Christians do we do that? One of the tenets of our faith is prayer, but when we make decisions, how often do we make decisions based on what it looks like from the outward perspective versus actually going to prayer and asking the Lord, what does he think? Because this is the thing, friends, sometimes things can look really, really good on the outside, but yet it'd be a huge mistake. And here's Lot, looking up and seeing with his own eyes. See, the reason we named our church Vision is because we don't want to just look at things from our own eyes. We want to see as God sees things. We want to see people the way the Lord sees people. You guys remember uh, when Samuel, the prophet, which not even one word of his fell to the ground, went because he was on a mission from God to to anoint the next king. And he chose David's older brother, the bigger, buffer, stronger one, and said, this is the king. And God said, man looks at the outward appearance, but I see the heart. Well, Lot looked at the outward appearance, but God saw the heart of the people in that community. And well, Lot's choice actually kind of led to his downfall and see, we need to ask the Lord to help us see as he sees because things aren't always as they appear. So even after Lot took the first right, see, really, Lot should have said, you know what, Abram, you're the elder. You're, the, you're my uncle. You're who I respect. You choose. But instead he said, okay, let me go to the place that looks the best so I can be the most successful. And so even after he didn't do things that, how they do it in their culture and their custom of that day, Lot, or Abram still loved Lot. And what happened here is, well, I'm going to read in verse 13 and, and 16. It says, a fugitive came, chapter 14 of Genesis, a fugitive came and reported to Abram the Hebrew. Abram was living in the Oaks, right? And he was, he was over there. And it says the allies of, these were allies of Abram. And when Abram uh, heard that his nephew had been taken prisoner. He heard that his nephew had been taken prisoner. He lined up all of his servants, all of them born in his household. There were 318 of them. And he chased after the captors all the way to Dan. Abram and his men split into small groups and attacked by night. They chased them as far as... Uh, whatever that place is called, just north of Damascus. And they recovered all the plunder along with his nephew Lot and all the possessions, including women and all the pe people, okay? A lot of times people read that passage and they just focus on how he made a tie to Melchizedek, the, the priest king of the time. But really, why did he even go and do that? At this time, Lot went on his own and dis really kind of dishonored Ab Abram by making first choice instead of submitting 
to Abram, who was really the head. And yet, but Abram didn't count any offense against him. He wasn't stuck on, man, he should have let me pick first. Even though I gave him the choice, it should have, he should have done what, what the right thing was to do. No, he didn't get stuck on that. Instead, he still went and rescued his family. This is the thing, friends. Some of the people who do us most wrong, they're our family members. There are, 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 seriously, it is. It is what it is. I can't tell you in 20 years of ministry how many people I have talked to who, who had some kind of offense against their, their family, an aunt or a grandpa or a parent or a child, and there's 20 years of separation because of one offense. But Abram chose to overlook an offense, and he still went and rescued his entitled, spoiled nephew. <laughs> still loved him Abraham did what was more than what was expected and then here in Genesis 18 and 19 I don't have time to read all this but the Lord told Abram that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham what does he do he intercedes he gets down and, well what if there's 50 righteous will you not destroy and he keeps going making the number lower so low that not even 10 was, were, were found and Yet he still interceded, well, what about my nephew Lot? What about him? Friends, I want to tell you this. If you see your family members in sin, if you see them messed up, you have the right and authority to intercede and believe that God will deliver them. And God will. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in my own life, times where my own family members were backslidden, and I said, no, in the name of Jesus, this is not going to happen. They're coming back to you. And God did it. And I'm still believing for some more of them because God has given us authority to intercede and to pray. And so Abraham interceded and he prayed. And guess what? The angel went and walked Lot out by, let him out by his hand, friends. He was so caught up in all the things that that town had to offer him and didn't even see all the sin around him that the, the angel literally had to walk him on out. His family was never the same because of the influence of Sodom and Gomorrah on their children. Lot's wife didn't even make it. She turned into a pillar of salt. Friends, we have to be careful. We need to intercede for our family. Abraham loved even when he was done wrong. He loved his entitled nephew who never learned to see things the way God sees We too can love when we're done wrong, and we too can give up our rights and allow others first choice, even if they choose foolishly, even if they're like the prodigal son who wants their inheritance now is going to end up eating with the pigs. It is our job. We can't force people to be Christians, but we can set an example. We can pray and we can love. We can't force our own children. I tell my children, you got to come up, you got to make a decision yourself. You're now, you're beyond the age of innocence. You got to choose. Do you want to live for God? While you're living in my house, yes, I'm going to have some rules, but that's only going to be for a few more years. you got to make this choice yourself. And I pray and believe that they will. But listen, all of us, we can't, we can't force it, or we're just, just as bad as other religions that come into cities at gunpoint and make them convert. That's not true conversion. But we can have true Christian love, and that's loving people even when they do us wrong. It's not easy. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. So I want to encourage you, be like Abraham and learn to love supernaturally. Another example of someone who learned to love even when they were done wrong is Joseph. Oh, I'm going to give you just a little bit of context because there's just so many chapters. I can't read it all, but I'm going to give you a little context. So Joseph was uh, one of the sons of Jacob. Um, and he was a favorite son, one of the youngest sons, and he was a favorite son. And, and well, he had a dream, and I actually have a message that I preached years ago that was called, be careful who you tell your dreams to, because not everybody's going to get your vision. Not everybody's going to understand what God wants to do in your life. There's going to be people who want to bring you down. Well, that was Joseph's brothers. Now, he might have had some immaturity. Hey, y'all, I had this dream, and it basically means all of you, including mom and dad, are going to bow down to me. He was the younger brother. I only have four kids, but I can imagine. I can imagine justice coming up to his brothers like, okay, y'all, one day I'm going to be the biggest, the buffest, and most successful. My kids say I say that about justice, and he just said it. He, just, he said that I always say that about him, but I'm just trying to warn him that you stop picking on him because you never know. But listen, 
That's not going to make family relations any better, but this is what he does. And so basically the brothers devise this plan. Long story short, they end up throwing him into this pit. And, you know, the, the oldest brother, Reuben, thought he was going to come back and rescue him afterwards. Well, when he was off doing his thing, the other brother said, oh, here's some Ishmaelites. Let's sell them into slavery. It's better than killing them. So he was sold into slavery and then taken to Egypt. And, and Potiphar bought him. He was a captain of the, of the Egyptian um, guards. And, well, he actually became successful in Potiphar's house, and his Potiphar's wife ended up having the hots for him. Long story short, she lied on him, said he raped her when he didn't. He's thrown into prison in Egypt. This is serious, right? In prison, he's still learning to honor God, die to himself, become more like Jesus, and he, uh, God tests him again and says, hey, you got this gift of dreams. Let me put this before you. And he interprets dreams of two different servants of Pharaoh, and they came true. So he asked the cupbearer, when, please remember me when you stand before Pharaoh again. Well, of course, the cupbearer didn't remember him right away, but eventually Pharaoh had a dream. Nobody in all of the land can interpret it. And then the cupbearer uh, cup remembered Joseph. Joseph was taken out of prison, interpreted the dream, ended up becoming the second in command of the power nation of the time, the superpower, okay? And so uh, there's a famine that comes in the land. Joseph prepares the people of Egypt, and uh, they save up food during the good years, and they have food ready during the famine years, and it affected, he basically saved a whole nation, and not only did he save a whole nation with his wisdom and with God, what God showed him, but his own brothers and family was affected by this uh, famine, and so they end up coming to Joseph, and guess what they eventually end up doing? Bowing down right before him. Well, once they realize um, that this is Joseph, because they didn't recognize him at first, I mean, they were afraid. They're like, oh, my goodness, he is about to kill us. I mean, when in, you, uh, how many people hold offense against their family members for something way less than that, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were seriously shaking in their boots, if you will. They were seriously afraid. And this is what Joseph says to them. What a revelation. Genesis 50, 19 to 20, it says, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am, or for am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that my, many people should be kept alive as they are today. This revelation came before Romans 8, 28, for God works together for the good of those who loved him and called according to his purpose. He said, you meant this for my destruction, but God meant it for my good, right? You, you meant to hurt me, but God took my pain and he brought purpose out of it. Come on, somebody. There's purpose in our pain. There's ministry through the things that we go through. For the same way that you have suffered and been comforted by God, that's the kind of comfort we're supposed to give out to other people, Joseph had a revelation. He had, he had a revelation. Rule number two, when someone does you dirty, when someone does you wrong, refuse to repay evil for evil. He could have repaid evil for evil. He could have had all of them killed, and there would have been nothing that none of them could have done. But he didn't. He didn't. He chose to believe that God had a bigger picture that God had a bigger purpose. He chose to see things the way God sees things. Unlike Lot, he chose to look through the situation through God's eyes. Can we learn to use our pain for God's purpose? Listen, friends, have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever felt betrayed? I know I have. Have you ever felt abandoned? Talked bad about when you've done good for somebody and they've still gossiped about you, still talked bad about you, still said that you were never going to make it. Come on. Have you ever had bad things happen? Someone else was promoted in your place when it should have been you? Come on. Left out, felt abandoned, maybe have had some serious things, some serious abuse, some serious hardships in your life. God can and will use your pain for his purpose. This is a thing, this Christian love and that we see in Matthew 5 where, where, where Jesus says, hey, we need to take an hour look at these things because tooth for a tooth and eye for an eye has never done good for anybody. But let me show you what real love is, that you can love somebody even when they do you wrong. It doesn't mean that you have to stay in, uh, I don't believe that you're supposed to be in relationships that are abusive or controlling. It doesn't mean that, but you, can, you don't have to hold on to offense. You don't have to repay evil for evil. 
You can let go. And you can know that God has a bigger picture and a bigger purpose. See, Christian love calls us to see the bigger picture. This is what Joseph did. He saw the bigger picture. He said, you meant this for evil, but God meant it to save many lives. Your testimony has power, friends. It could save many lives, the things that you've been through. There's people who can relate to you that might not be able to relate to me because of your story, because of what you've gone through. There's purpose in our pain. And it's not to overcome evil with evil, but to overcome evil with good, friends. So here's Joseph as an example, and we have Abram as an example, and this next Old Testament example is David. (laughs) Oh, I said rule number two, not to repay evil for evil. So here we are in, in David. And I'm actually going to read a pretty big passage for you. It's a lot of scripture here. I'm reading it again in the paraphrase version, the message version, just because I believe it's, it, it kind of sums it up a little bit better. But feel free to go back and read it in your favorite version, whether it's ESV or NASB or whatever. So First Samuel 24 says, when Saul came back after dealing with the Philistines, we're, st- we're skipping talking about King David. Actually, you know what? Before I read that, just give a little context. King David, before he was King David, he was David the giant slayer, right? He went to take lunch to his brothers, wasn't even in the war, and this giant was taunting the people of Israel, and uh, David was like, who's going to do something about it? And uh, they, they found out, the king saw, found out David was talking, and so he meets with, with David. He tries to get David to actually wear his armor, and David refuses to wear our man's armor. That's a sermon right there. We need to go out on what God has given us and not try to be like other people. Hello. So hard in our generation with Instagram and Facebook and all the other social media (laughs) platforms, right, that that we want to be just like everybody else. But God has called us to be okay with being us. And so, so David got that. He went out and just with himself and took a slingshot and a stone. He killed Goliath. And so what happens is, is, man, the, the army was saved. The people were saved and the ladies wrote a song about him come on somebody he made it to the top and and in the song they they honored the king too but they said he's killed thousands and david tens of thousands and so the king got jealous like super jealous over david and so that green eye monster man it, it just it seriously took possession over the king there was a time that david was playing the harp so that that he would that the king saw would have relief and that demon would leave for just a minute but even during that time david our Saul tried to kill David. So David now is a fugitive, and he's on the run with his mighty men, which were also fugitives. And uh, he has an opportunity two times. We're going to read about the first one because I think it's even, I think it's kind of funny here in 1 Samuel chapter 24. And it says, when Saul came back after dealing with the Philistines, he, to- he was told, David is now in the wilderness. Saul took three companies, that the, the best that he could find in all Israel, and set search for David and his men. In the region of the, of the uh, wild goat rocks, he came to some sheep pens along the road. There was a cave where Saul went in to relieve himself. Even the message said that nice. Saul went in to use the bathroom, y'all. They didn't have toilets back then. He went in to the cave to use the restroom. And here he is using the restroom, and they're hiding out in the cave like, oh, snap, if you're going to get somebody, now's the time. He's vulnerable, right? So David and his men were huddled far back in some cave. This is crazy stuff, guys. And David's men whispered to him, can you believe it? This is the day God was talking about when he said, I'll put your enemy in your hands. You can do whatever you want with him. Quiet as a cat, David crept up and cut off a piece of Saul's royal robe when he was using the bathroom. That's nasty, right? Here we go. Immediately, he felt guilty. He said to his men, God forbid I should have done this to my master, God's anointed, and that I should have raised a finger against him. He's God's anointed. David held his men in check with these words, and he wouldn't let them pounce on Saul these were wild men. These were fugitives. He, he had to really hold them back. Saul got up, left the cave, and went down to the road. 
I remember when we were youth pastors and uh, we were witnessing and uh, Pastor Josh was, uh, this was an inner city and Pastor Josh was out and uh, uh, on one street and I come back around on another street and I'm, uh, and apparently some guy got upset because Pastor Josh broke up a fight in the neighborhood. And so this guy started jumping in and trying to fight Pastor Josh and literally swung on him and was punching him. And Josh was like, in the name of Jesus, I forgive you. I love you in Jesus' name and this and that. Well, we had kids that we were busting in from the projects and they was ready to jump this dude, I had to hold them back. So I can imagine, David, how mad this army was, right? And he was like, no, no, this is God's anointed. Stand back. So I can really picture this, okay? And it, so here's David holding these guys back, and now he's, he, he lets Saul get out of the cave and go back to his army, and then he comes out a bit of a distance, and he says, and then David stood at the mouth of the cave, and called to Saul, my master, my king. Saul looked back. David fell on his knees and bowed in reverence. He called out, why do you listen to those who say David's out to get you? This very day with, the ver- with your very own eyes, you have seen that just now in the cave, God put you in my hands. My men wanted me to kill you, but I wouldn't do it. I told them I won't lift a finger against my master. He's God's anointed. Oh, my father, look at this. Look at this piece that I cut off from your robe. You know, he was like, oh, snap. I know what I was doing right then. And he cut that piece off from my robe. But he says this. He said, I am not against you. He said, if I wanted to kill you, I could have. But I didn't look at these evildoers. I am not against you. I am no rebel. I have... I haven't sinned against you, and you're hunting me down to kill me. Let's decide which one of us is right. God may avenge me, but it is his hand, not mine. An old proverb says, evil deeds come from evil people. So be assured that my hand won't touch you. My goodness. My goodness. What does the king of Israel think he's doing? Who do you think you're chasing? A dead dog, a flea? God is our judge. He'll decide who's right. Oh, that he would look down right now and decide right now and set me free of you. He's probably wishing, God, just give him a heart attack right now. (laughs) That's what I would have been thinking. But here he goes. He says, when David had finished saying this, Saul said, can this be the voice of my son David? This dude was like bipolar to the next level. (laughs) He said, and he went and wept loud sobs. I mean, he wasn't just like faking it, right? He's like, is this my son? Ah! Jewish people, I mean, they were known for being a little animated. I got a little Jewish in me. And, and I mean, they would pay people to go be their weepers and mourners during if someone died. I'm like, you don't even have to pay me. I could be someone I don't know when I'm crying. You should see me in Hallmark movies. I'm like, ah! I mean, I literally have had people stop me in Detroit when I was at a movie and I went to go see Selma and, and uh, it was like reconciliation in the movie theater right there because I was crying so hard. The lady was like, baby girl, it's okay. And, I mean, I'm, ter- I'm serious. Like, I can weep. So I can imagine I'm picturing Saul because he was a little up and down, a little up and down. And he was like weeping like, my son, how dare I do this, right? This was his chance for restoration. This was his chance to ma- be made right. But can this voice be my son, David? And he wept loud sobs. You're the one and the right, not me, he continued. You've heaped good on me. I've dumped evil on you, and now you've done it again, treated me generously. God put me in your hands, and didn't, and you didn't kill me. Why? When a man meets his enemy, does he send him down the road with a blessing? May God give you a bonus of blessings of what you've done to me today. He just blessed him. I know now beyond a doubt that you will rule as king. The kingdom of Israel is already in your grasp. Now I promise me under God that you will not kill off my family or wipe me out of the book. David promised Saul. Then Saul went home to David and the men went to their wilderness and refuge. You think there could have been reconciliation right then. You think he could have came back and been a part of his army, but no, two chapters later, it happens again. Saul's on the hunt looking to kill David. Friends, David had another chance to kill him, but he chose not to again. Why? Why? Why would David act like this? Why would David spare Saul's life in another time? Why? When his friends were telling him, do it, kill him, kill him. Friends, I believe is rule number three. When someone does you wrong, you must learn to trust God's ways and God's timing. There's a book that I highly recommend. I believe we have a picture of it. You can put that up. 
There's a, yep, there's the learn, must trust God's ways and God's timing. Here's a book. It's called A Tale of Three Kings. I read this when I, uh, like 20 years ago when I first came out of Bible school. I'm telling you, this book is amazing. It's more of a novel. It's not just like a self-help Christian books that we all have nowadays. This book will get you thinking, though. It's so good. Get your hands on it. A Tale of Three Kings. And in that, we see the perspectives of, of Saul and David and Solomon. And, and it just, ooh, it's so good. And it talks about Ab- Absalom. And this is a thing, friends. David had a chance to revenge himself, but he chose to leave vengeance for the Lord. Now, we don't have someone hunting us down to kill us, but we've had haters in our life. We've had people say bad things about us. We've had people come against us. We've had, we probably had people at our workplace that, you know what, we really don't like to work with them. They kind of get on our nerves and we need some extra grace just not to like look at them sideways. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm sure we all have people like that, but we can learn from King David. And we can learn to trust in God's timing, in God's ways. Maybe you feel like, you know what, God has a promotion, or maybe you know that God has a bigger blessing for your life. Don't go out and try to make it happen just on your own. Yes, we need to pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on us, but so often we only work like it depends on us, and we forget to actually pray like it depends on God. We need to trust God, sometimes slow down, and really seek him, friends, and really know that, In his timing, he's going to take care of us. And guess what? God eventually did take care of Saul. Saul actually died in in war, in a battle, and it was not because David lifted a finger against him. God used the enemies of Israel to bring justice. Friends, God will take care of you too. God will vindicate you. Maybe you've actually really gone through some hard things. I've lived long enough and have ministered long enough. I've heard some stories. People, God will take care of you. Even if you never get justice here on earth, God will take care of you, and he will take care of the one who does you wrong. But we got to learn to trust God's timing. God's timing and God's ways and how he does things. He is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he would change his mind. He works how he works and his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we need to get it right and not get it twisted. When someone does you wrong, do you take matters into your own hands? Do you, feel, do you justify your anger because they caused you to be angry? I know I have before. <laughs> when you were born with all this passion, <laughs> listen. You got, you, got, you got to die to some of that. You got to die to some of that. Go, oh, well, the only reason I acted like that is because they did this to me and it was a reaction. We are held responsible for our reactions. We can respond the way God has us respond, wait for his timing, wait for his conviction, or we can try to take matters in our own hands. When Josh and I first got married, we lived in this tiny efficiency apartment. It was, the whole apartment was probably smaller than this room in here. And, and uh 20 by 20, baby. You remember those days? This is a big man. He would be praying out on the floor, and I would have to step over him just to get to the bathroom. <laughs> I, it, it, and there was, a, I mean, there was a time, actually, my husband just went through some of his old journals where he was complaining about me. So cute. <laughs> oh, Lord, is the woman you gave me. And, oh, I, he only had one journal. I had volumes of when I was complaining about him. Let me tell you something. <laughs> And it was when we were living in that apartment after a year of just fighting. We were both oldest kids. We both had pretty strong wills and strong opinions. We would fight biblical things like, is prayer more important or is the Bible more important? That's so stupid. I don't know why we would fight over dumb things like that. I, I mean, like, but we would. I mean, we fought over everything. If he said the sun or the, he would say it's really sunny today, I would come up with another word that meant the same thing that, but, but was different. We would fight over it. I mean, we would fight over everything. It's, oh, oh the, the, the window up, down, up, down, up, down. He wants it up. My hair's getting messed up. Or, or he wants it down. My, I worked hard on this. I want it up. I, the, the temperature of what the heat thermometer, I mean, everything. Okay? It was miserable. A miserable first year of marriage. And one day I was praying. And I was praying passionately. See, Josh would get quiet when he would pray and just look all hermit-like and monk-like and <laughs> get all down. Like, thought he was going bald up on top of me. And I would pray. I would pray like the woman on the war room. I'll be like, in the name of Jesus, and I'm doing this. God, get him. Get him, God. Get him. You know what he did to me. He's going out with his friends when he should be with me right now. We are married. I can't believe 
breath, did like a workout praying for this man, okay? <laughs> and, and this is what God said to me. He said, the only control in the Bible that is biblical is self-control. Joy, you cannot change him, but you can change you. And then he brought me. <laughs> He's got better over the years, too, but God did that. So <laughs> then the Lord brought me to James chapter 4. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you is because you want what you want. And you don't get what you want because you want it for selfish motives. I basically wanted Josh to be my servant, number one, cupbearer, butler, rub my feet and do everything I want him to do for me. But I didn't want to get up and make him dinner, serve him, turn off the light when he asked. God said, you got to die to yourself. you got to control yourself because every other control is witchcraft. Self-control is the only biblical control. And even that is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Even that you can't do by yourself. So I had to trust God's time. And what to tell you now? And you're incredible too, babe. You are so incredible. You could, we get on our kids' nerves now. I remember before, before Shua was born, I remember being at the altar on Broadway, crying out to the Lord, God, I do not want to bring these kids into this. I mean, I'm going to mess them. You see all this, God. <laughs> I don't want to mess them up. And I remember I felt the Lord lift some things from me, lift some things from me. And I felt like he, not that I don't ever get mad. Now usually I'm just mad at Shua, not Josh. <laughs> I got a teammate now, thank God. We could be mad together. <laughs> we got a common enemy. Just kidding, my kids are awesome. But, <laughs> but this is the thing. We would have been divorced by now if I was still trying to fix him instead of working on me. I have to trust God's timing. And as I changed and I was bringing him coffee, I actually learned how to cook and clean something. Lord have mercy. And listen, I didn't do it half-heartedly. I recruited some people. I had this Greek woman in our, our uh, South Tulo campus. This woman can cook. I was like underneath her tutelage. I had, I had uh, my dad helping me. Remember one time, Sarah, in that apartment, you came over and fixed my meal. It was so messy. I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? She's like, girl, I got you. And she's like, Megan, and it looked beautiful when she was done with it. But she gave me the credit. She went out. And I'm like, here, baby. <laughs> <laughs> he said he never knew that. <laughs> And now I can actually cook, right? I'm, not still, I'm still not at the level of Georgia from, from back in the day, but I, I can make an okay meal now. <laughs> and now I, I just, I like, I, I probably at least, how many times a, a week bring you food, like, right where you're at? At least. Like, right where he's at. Like, here, let me make you a plate. That is not my nature, friends. <laughs> that is God's nature. As a matter of fact, this little thing right here is my accountability. You see this? I'm like, you know what? I don't got enough steps yet. Anyway, let me walk back out to that garage and get that drink for them. Because my flesh wants to say, you got two feet, go get it yourself. But I need the steps anyway, and I'm dying to myself. Let me go out there and get it. Come on. <laughs> and this is the thing, friends. In the way God began to work on me, God also, in his timing, worked on Josh. He became sweeter. I didn't have to tell him. I mean, this man, like, I'm, like, sitting here going on a date, opening my own doors, looking at him like, are you serious, dude? I don't even have to tell him anymore. Now he's opening for me, and the old lady's coming in behind me. It's, like, awesome. They're all, oh, baby, girl, you got you a good, I know, right? It took time, though. It took time. God's timing. This is a thing, extra grace required. It's, we need extra grace to wait on for people to be what they're going to be. This right here is not what he's going to be one day. This is what he is at 16-year-old Shua. One day, one day, <laughs> we're a work in progress. We're a work in progress, right? And guess what? This right here, 41-year-old Joy, it ain't going to be like that in her 10 years. I want to be more like, I'm going to have probably more gray. A man is going to take care of that, but I'm going to be more like Jesus. More like Jesus. Come on. 
Every year I grow older, I want to grow closer to the Lord, not colder, because I, I don't want to grow older and colder like, oh, I'm 65 years old, that's who I am now, and that's just who I am. No. I want to reflect the character of God, and I'm going to wait on his timing and on his ways to take care of every other situation. Every person getting on my nerves that needs extra grace, God's going to do something with them. God's going to change them. We give up too soon. The Lord told me my scripture for the 2020 is Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if, if we do not give up. We give up too soon on our marriages. We give up too soon on our jobs. We give up too soon on our churches and on our ministries and on our children. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm raising up world changers. I'm not giving up. God is going to do something in this Waterville community. Are we different than any church that's ever been here before? Yes. Do we have the means, the resources, the finances to do what all God has called us to do? Not yet, but it's coming. It's coming. Whose life is already different and changed since we've been here? Mine has been. Don't give up. Don't give up. Wait on God's timing. That's what David learned. He knew he was going to be king, and it took years. How many? I can't remember. Like, 20 years, I believe, before he got that throne. God's timing. I want to end with this, and I'm not going to go as long with this last example. This is a New Testament one. This is Stephen, the first, or Stephen. Stephon. Uh, <laughs> the context, he was the first Christian martyr. He was anointed and appointed as a waiter of a table. So he, he wasn't even an apostle. He wasn't one of the 12, but he was appointed and anointed to be a waiter of the table, which uh, to take care of widows um, in the New Testament. Basically, he was like a deacon. He was a servant. He was a head usher, if you will, right? And, and God used him to do mighty things. And well, the religious leaders of the day didn't like him. They end up stoning him to death. And here he is on his knees in Acts chapter 7. Go back and read it. He actually gives the whole Old Testament in a nutshell. He gets, he gets to preaching, and he's preaching. He's talking Moses. He's talking Abraham. He's talking the prophets. They're like, okay, okay, I feel you. Then he, he starts relaying it to Jesus. They're like, oh, no. And they start stoning him. And here he is, and this is what he says in Acts 7, 59 and 60. They continued to stone Stephen while he prayed. Wow, he was being stoned. He prayed, and we can't even pray, make time to pray during the day because we're so busy. While he was being stoned, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell to his knees and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he died. Rule number four, when dealing with someone who does you wrong, choose to forgive. Stephen followed the example of Jesus while on the cross. He forgave all of us. In Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divide up his clothes by casting lots. I was really hurt by a friend that I had for like 20-plus years. I felt like they um, talked bad about me, accused me of some things that weren't true. I felt abandoned and rejected by them. And, and I was so angry. So angry, and I actually went to Youngstown to see my best friend because I needed deliverance, and I didn't want everyone to see how pound up I was with it. And and she prayed me through, and the Lord brought me to the scripture, forgive them, for they know what not what they're doing. The Lord showed me they don't even know how bad they hurt you, but it's your responsibility to choose grace. Give them grace. And now when I see them, it's nothing but love. When I think about them, it's nothing but love. I don't wish them uh, harm. I'm telling you, I was like so mad at them. I was, I was praying. I went back old school like Joy Hester or Joy <laughs> in the beginning days and start praying like, God, get them. That's, what, that's how I was praying. <laughs> and the Lord got me instead and taught me to forgive them. They don't even know how much they hurt me. And it's okay because God is going to use that pain for his purpose. Because if everything was easy, we would be entitled, we would be narcissistic, we would not have Christ-like character. But God works through hardship to perfect his character. And so we have to forgive. I'm telling you, people, I know some of you have been done dirty. I know some of you guys have been in, in verbal and, and some even physical situations where you have been abused. And I'm not saying to stay in trauma. That is, don't stay in trauma. Don't stay with true toxic situations. But see, young people now call every conflict toxic and that is not the case and I'm afraid that we're raising up a generation that is not going to know how to deal with conflict 
We've got to learn to communicate, to express our heart in a way that is kind, in a way that is gentle, but yet a way that's firm. Do I tell Josh when he does something wrong? Best believe, but not the way I used to tell him. Most time, anyway. Work in progress. Work in progress. I've even had to repent to my own teenage kids. I took Shua out. He got an outfit, donuts, and, and coffee out of it. <laughs> she was like, you're my girl, though. We don't really, too bad. But she's like, I want donuts. She's about to give me an attitude just so we can make up. No. <laughs> I still have to repent to my own children sometimes because we're a work in progress. But we've got to forgive. I forgive them. They forgive me. we got to forgive each other. Here in church, church hurt. i got a blog. Go back and read it. Church hurt. Some of the worst hurt. But we got to forgive each other. I just saw uh, somebody that I, uh, I'm an acquaintance with, and they said, this is why I'm leaving the church and listed all these things. And I'm like, oh, that breaks my heart. Because we're a work in progress, and we all need extra grace. Friends, choose to forgive. I'm going to end with this quote by C.S. Lewis. Right? They're still, I'm telling you, he's so awesome. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. Because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. I don't know about you, but I know, man, there has been times I've been a mess. Even after being born again, even after being your pastor. And God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. So who am I to hold on to offense? Who am I to hold somebody, uh, judgment on somebody? I need to extend grace. Extra grace required. Extended grace. Grace is right, friends. It's right. It's what we should do. Would you stand up to your feet? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I really believe there's some people in here that... Um, the Lord is working on them to forgive and to give extra grace. If that's you in here today and you know that God is work, you're a work in progress and God is helping you with that, would you just lift your hand before the Lord? Lift your hand before the Lord. Thank you. God wants us to forgive. He wants us to forgive. He wants us to let go. He wants us not to repay evil for evil. He wants us to trust in his timing. He wants us to not demand our rights. I would love to pray with you today. If, you've, if you rose your hand and you're like, you know what, I need extra grace so I can give extra grace, would you come stand right up here? I want to anoint you with oil. We believe in anointing with oil. We believe that God wants to minister to you and touch you. So come on up. Don't be afraid. Stand up right here in between these two pillars if you can squeeze in. Thank you. Right up in here. 